And here's what I want to ask you. What is holding you back? What is the thing that's holding you back from going after your dreams and from finding meaningful work you love? Aren't you ready to wake up to the possibilities that are in your life and go after the things you've dreamt of? It's time for you to feel alive again, lit up, and for you to know that you're deserving and you are worthy for the future that's waiting for you. I want you to feel fulfilled and find abundance in your life. I think it's time and I'm ready to help you get started. Now I'm your host, Kristen, of Building a Life You Love. And each week on the show, we're going to help you figure out how you do go after your dreams and find work you love. Here we go. Let's get started. On today's episode, I can't wait to get into a great conversation about how we can stop feeling guilty about our food and our health choices, how we can start making better choices and learn from the things that make us feel good and the foods that make us feel good. So buckle up because this is a great conversation and I think you're actually going to be inspired to take better control of your health and your food choices instead of feeling guilty and that it's an all or nothing. So here we go. Hi, today on the show, I would like to welcome Cassie Christopher. She's a registered dietitian and health coach. Welcome, Cassie. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Can you start off with telling us about your journey to being this health coach and dietitian and how you help people and how, you know, how you got into this? Certainly. So um, currently what I do is I'm a, I help peri and postmenopausal women achieve freedom from overeating so that they can easily make healthy choices without feeling like they need gobs of willpower or self-control or discipline and help them feel great in their body as a result. And I got into this line of work both from my professional growth and personal growth. And it really starts with even back when I was getting my master's in nutrition, trying to become a dietitian. I was in this pattern, and and if anyone here struggles with overeating or emotional eating, oftentimes it's something that you have done since you were very young, and that is the case for me, certainly. But it came to a bit of a tipping point when I was in grad school, and, and learning all of these strategies to eat healthier and live healthier and optimize your health and be your best self and help you know other people, and... I found that I was managing the stress of that situation by going to the um, little convenience store on campus every day and eating a bar of chocolate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And while I justified it because, you know, it was artisanal chocolate and (laughs) and so it wasn't that good, you know, it really did not help my health, you know, mentally or physically. And I started to just feel like a fraud. You know, I felt like I couldn't implement these things I was learning, which were all about restriction and eliminating foods. And that seemed to lead to more eating for me. Uh, And really in, in our culture, overeating or having a larger body, those things are seen as character flaws or morality issues. And so I was embarrassed. And so I kind of started my fledgling career in that space, like feeling very um, out of alignment, I guess, eating and, you know, not um, eating the same ways that I was wanting my clients to eat. I mean, I would eat the salad and all of that and eat healthy. And I think a lot of people can relate to this. And then when things would get stressful or things would get hard or I would feel overwhelmed, I would go to the bakery and think, well, things have been hard. I deserve a little reward, right? (laughs) Yeah. 
And so that continued on, honestly, for many years. And, and I was working with people as a dietitian, helping them, you know, deal with chronic health conditions, lose weight, lower blood pressure, these kinds of things. And I started to see that the people who were having the most success in making changes were doing two things really well. One is they were focused on their stress management. And the other thing they were doing was focusing on their self-care. So these were the people who set aside time and believed in their own worthiness of self-care. And so that stuck around in the back of my mind while I was doing life. So I became a mom and all of this came to a tipping point for me when my daughter was a few months old. See, I was a type A person, a go-getter, a achiever, a perfectionist, however you want to call it. Uh, and I really struggled with self-care. And this became clear when I had this tiny little baby who I was giving my whole life to care for, you know, literally my body with all that breastfeeding. And and I was doing nothing for myself. And and you know, over time, of course, at the time I didn't know, but over time I realized I didn't believe I was worthy or as valuable as her um, or my husband or, you know, my clients or to, to have that same amount of care. And so here I was, um, I had gained 50 pounds while I was pregnant due to like a, a hair trigger, nausea, and only being able to eat certain things, which interestingly, you know, didn't make me eat less, but more. <laughs> um, again, that emotional comfort eating, right? I technically had this obese BMI, I'm this dietitian, right? And emotionally, I was really struggling. I was lonely, we were very stressed just had lost my job, the company I was working for before I went on maternity leave went under. And I was using food to really repress, comfort, soothe all of these difficulties and had a lot of stress that I learned later was contributing to the food cravings as well. And I realized this was a problem when I saw my doctor because I was in so much physical pain and I discovered I had these autoimmune antibodies. I realized I had to prioritize myself. I had to figure out the eating thing because I was noticing a link between food and my symptoms. Um, but in the past, that restriction would just you know, lead to more overeating. So I said, okay, some restrictive diet is not going to be the answer here. So what is? And so for me, the, the first step to healing, and I think this is something that I now use with my clients and can maybe help other people, was getting curious about what was going on. Mm-hmm. That curiosity for why is this happening? You know, oftentimes with eating or weight struggles, we think there's something wrong with me. It's a character flaw. It's a personality flaw. It's a morality issue. So that stops the curiosity in its tracks because we think we know the answer. The other thing that can come up a lot is this all or nothing thinking where we think we're either doing things perfectly or why do them at all. And so we're either a failure or we're a success and there's no room for anything in between. And so again, curiosity um, is the key to overcoming that. And so I got curious. I wondered why these things were happening. I worked with my you know, personal counselor, my naturopath, process, processing through things with my husband, my friends, business coaches. And I realized that the stress and difficult emotions of my life were causing me to reach for food instead of care for myself in better ways. Wow. And that was really the beginning to figuring out how to heal was that curiosity. Oh my gosh. So much there that we can talk about for sure. So first of all, I love that you said curiosity because I think you're right, right? If it, no matter if we want to make a change, 
we want to do something new. At the end of the day, we have to go beyond what we already know. And we have to go beyond maybe even what one advisor or person's telling us to say, does this feel true for me? Or could something else maybe, like you said, work? Because sometimes what is recommended to us isn't always what works for us or our lifestyle. And so I think that's great, first of all, that you mentioned that we need to get curious. I love that. So let me ask you, you definitely talked about stress and feelings and how that often is tied to our food and our health choices. So can we dig into that a little bit more about how do we, because I think for most of us, it's either one of those two things, both, or we sort of get in these lulls, right? Where, oh, now we're Netflix binging. So now at 10 o'clock at night, we have really bad habits. I mean, I can admit that some nights, you know, I'm guilty of that too. So can we dig into that a little bit? What's behind those things and how do we maybe start working on those things? Yeah, definitely. So I think the big thing to know about stress and, you know, eating for stress and eating for feelings are the same in some ways. And also there can be different causes. So stress on the first hand, we have to understand the primary stress hormone in the body is the stress hormone cortisol. And this is like that primitive fight, flight, or freeze hormone. And I tell people, you know, back when we were running from saber-toothed tigers on the plains, (laughs) this was a very important hormone uh, because it gives you that get up and go when things get scary and stressful to, you know, focus and find the best hiding place or run away from the saber-toothed tiger. Problem is that in our modern world, there are a lot of things that trigger that stress hormone. And we don't really have the option of like running the stress off in the same way that, you know, you might have if you really were running from a saber-toothed tiger. And so, you know, and I'm not a a history or archaeologist, so I have no idea if my saber-toothed tiger analogy is accurate. So sorry if I'm offending anyone out there, but it, it makes sense in my mind. Yeah. The idea being we get these triggers to these stress hormones, obviously psychological stress, right? We get that. But there's also other things like inflammation in the body. So if people are dealing with autoimmune issues or arthritis or you know asthma, allergies, anything that causes uh, inflammation, blood sugar imbalances like diabetes or prediabetes, or even just having kind of like binges of sweet things or carby things, that can cause a blood sugar imbalance. Sleep disturbance, which is really common, unfortunately, in in our modern world. And then uh, menopause can raise cortisol as well. So um, that gets into the kind of my target audience of women that I work with. And so all of those things can imbalance your stress hormone cortisol. And the reason that's important in this context is because it can cause food cravings. Now, there are, there's research to show that when cortisol is high, people eat less healthy foods, which is like, We didn't really need researchers to tell us stress eating was a thing, right? But they have. And how I see it play out in my practice is these cravings come in one of two ways. They're either the impulsive, compulsive, I feel like I'm addicted to food, I can't say no, kind of mindless, give me, give me type of craving that a lot of people know, especially maybe at 10 p.m. at night during, you know, a Netflix moment. Or they're the, the other kind of craving style, which is, it's just more insidious or you're kind of obsessed or preoccupied with food throughout the day. You're always thinking about it. You always know where the kitchen is and you're always having to exercise that willpower. And so people can experience either or both of those in response to food. And it's important to understand that the hormones are involved here Mm -hmm. uh, because oftentimes we just blame ourselves, right? When we don't 
know to get curious and there could be other modes. We just wonder what the heck is wrong with me that I cannot stop thinking about food. Or when I have one cookie, I end up eating the entire bag. <laughs> yeah. And that's really important to understand that it's, it's not your fault. I just want to say that. Um, cause there's a lot of guilt and shame wrapped up in that. And, uh, and that's not for any of you who are listening. You don't need that guilt and shame. So stress is a big driver of eating. And then you mentioned the feelings as well. And, and I did too. That was a big piece for me. And what happens there is when you eat, you get a, a hit of dopamine, which is the feel good pleasure reward chemical in the body. And that dopamine allows you to feel good for a moment. You get, the, like I said, the pleasure, the reward in the brain, and it can, it can cause like a break from the difficult feeling. So for instance, boredom is a big one. I'm, you know, I'm sure you have you ever eaten out of boredom, Kristen? I'm sure out of a lot of reasons, I'm sure. <laughs> right. And so boredom is one, it's really interesting. If you stop and feel your boredom, you will soon discover it is a very uncomfortable emotion. It's that like kind of crawling in your skin. I don't want to feel like this feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, so boredom eating is really common, especially during the pandemic. A lot of people have done it. Right. And when you eat, it gives you a break from that boredom. You feel the pleasure. That's the opposite of boredom, right? You, it, it allows for that reprieve. And so um, eating works. That's the thing to recognize that this emotional eating or using food in these moments when you need pleasure or you need a break from difficult emotion, it works. And the other thing that was really true for me, you know, when I was struggling to commit to my own self-care, and I know this is true for a lot of women and, and probably men too, is food works for, for self-care. You know, I worked with a, a woman who, who was a, a widow's advocate. She'd become a widow many years previous, and now she spends her days helping other you know, new widows, like very emotional <laughs> work yeah. to do. And she spent her days doing that and did not allow much time on her calendar or her to-do list for herself. Uh, and so she ended up um, eating at night because that was the time that she had for herself. That was how she could make herself feel good because she wasn't getting that feel good during the day. So stress, feeling, self-care, those are all reasons that you might be eating. And there's these biological basis and, you know, heart and mental reasons for this, where when you stop and get curious, it can really shine a lot of light on that. Yeah. Wow. So much there. So is what can we do? I know mindset's a big part of making better choices and healthier choices with yeah. what we eat and just our lifestyle, like, you know, maybe getting an exercise to going on a walk. So what can you tell us about how can we shift our mindset or move towards, you know, a new mindset to work on these things? Because we're all dealing with stress and we all mm -hmm. deal with emotions we don't want to feel sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to understand what you need to do to have consistent progress, which is essentially what you're talking about, you know, not starting and stopping, but continuing, um, is to understand why you start and stop first. Mm -hmm. And that is, and I think I mentioned it earlier, that all or nothing thinking. And we're so primed for this, you know, especially in today's comparison age where you get on social media and you see all these people living these glamorous, amazing lives. And, you know, you think if you're not there, well, why even try? Or you think about what it would take to get there, right? And especially with things like weight loss, gosh, um, it just feels so overwhelming. And so why even try? 
The other thing that happens is, especially for women who I work with, you know, peri and postmenopausal, they've had life experience and maybe they've had times where they have felt good in the past and they were making the healthy changes. And so in that, that almost can be a detriment to have experienced that success in the past because they think they can just step right back into Right. where they were before. But, you know, it took time to get there and, it, and it'll take time to get there now. And we forget that any sort of change, especially with our health or eating or, you know, movement, any sort of change is a journey. And we often think that there is an end point, like in a, a place that you have achieved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's not. <laughs> because once you get there, you know, something else is going to happen or you're going to say, wow, I realize I feel so much better when I'm doing X, Y, Z. And now I want to do more of that. Or, oh, I have this injury and now I need to rehab this. And so having this mindset that it's a journey and thinking of it that way, rather than when I achieve this, I will feel X, Y, Z. Like, okay, well, let's see how you can feel good now on this journey. So that's one way of thinking about it that can be helpful. Yeah, I like that because you're right. A lot of people do say, oh, what is what is my goal? What do I need to change to get to yeah. this goal? And like you said, it could be weight loss. It could be some health measurement or number isn't where it should be. It might be like you said, I know I'm super stressed out. I feel stressed out. And so I know I need to make a change, right? Yeah. Because maybe long-term it'll impact me, even if I don't notice it yet. I think the problem is too many of us still in our minds think, oh, it's going to take me three months or two months to change this thing. And once again, we're kind of putting an end date on it. And just instead of saying, what's those small shifts, right, that I could make, that I could maintain, because I know that they make me feel better, and then just continue on with them without such an expectation of, I mean, yes, we want to maybe know what the end result is going to be, or, or, or a midway point, or a, you know, a stopping point. But I think you're right. I think thinking of it as a journey is, is a really good way to, you know, look at our health and our health lifestyles. The other thing that can help with, sometimes I joke with my clients because that we're essentially brainwashing ourselves, right? We've been brainwashed by culture that, you know, there is this end point. And so how do we brainwash ourselves back to the truth that it's a journey? And what I do is every Friday, I have a group of my clients, I ask them to share their fry yays, we call them. And, it, you know, I stole that from someone else as dorky as it is, I can't even take credit for it. But, <laughs> but the, the reason that's helpful is because focusing on the things that are working well, and the, the little wins, the partial successes, you know, that actually helps to undo some of that all or nothing thinking, because all or nothing means either you're perfect or you're not, either you're doing it right or you're not. But when you can start to train your brain to see the gray area, you know, you have that neuroplasticity where your brain can learn new things, you know, thank God for that. You are able to to start to see those wins more easier the more that you do it. And then what happens is, is that builds momentum. Some wins that are especially helpful to pay attention to when you're trying to make a change is how those things make you feel. Now, this is why things like restrictive diets don't work because restrictive diets don't make you feel good. You feel hungry, you feel tired, the keto flu, right? Whatever it may be. Yeah. As opposed to, wow, when I eat regularly throughout the day, I have more energy. I feel more nourished. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not as starving at night. Like whatever it may be, noticing those little wins gives you that fuel to keep going forward. Yeah, I think that's good because- you know, and when we're talking about work-life balance in other areas, I talk about small wins all the time because sometimes I'll 
catch myself wanting to discount some of the things I've accomplished because I think, oh, it's too low or it's not a big enough accomplishment. And then I have to remind myself, hold on, that's actually really an amazing accomplishment. It's just not where I'm trying to go to. But with the health side, I think that's really good because I have noticed the same sort of health self-sabotage a bit too in the last couple of months because I had a month where I was I was doing so well with my eating, my, my diet, everything, or my exercise. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you're right. I found myself focusing on the negative aspects of what I didn't do well, instead of saying, you know what? I added in four extra vegetables and fruits this whole week, you know, or whatever the win was, because to me, I was looking at the whole picture saying, I know I could have done a lot better. And I chose not to, I chose the, some of the bad choices instead of saying, but then I'm focused on the bad choices, right. Or the not as good choices instead of, wow, I did have, I did go on a walk every day and I did do other exercise and I did, you know, so I, I wasn't even giving myself credit for some of that stuff. So I I think that's a good point about that. We need to focus on the small positive changes we're making. Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing too, about what you said to me, something that stuck out was, you know, four vegetables or four fruits and it really takes training and maybe even some tracking sometimes mm-hmm. to notice those things because it would be so easy to get to the end of the week and, and not even see that, you know? So I, I just, the, the point I'm trying to make here is like, this can be an actually really hard skill mm-hmm. uh, to develop, um, seeing the positives because what it ties into is self-compassion mm-hmm. and self-compassion is something that um, I think just is, it's hard. Like we're not taught it, you know, uh, many of us. I mean, if there are people out there who, who are, were taught that from a young age, like you should celebrate that win. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that self-compassion really, a lot of people will tell me like, well, I'm afraid to be more compassionate. And I, cause I'm saying to them, this will help stop the all or nothing thinking. This will help stop the self-criticism that keeps you in that cycle of all or nothing thinking. And they say, well, if I'm self-compassionate, then I'm just going to be nice to myself and let myself do whatever I want. And that's actually not true. When you're kind to yourself, you learn to care for yourself better, especially when you're focusing on things that allow you to feel good and have more energy and like, you know, the, the merit that those fruits and vegetables had for you in that, um, in that week. Um, I think that's the biggest self-compassion in my mind is the biggest anecdote to self-sabotage. Yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of us, maybe we did grow up or as adults, we learned self-compassion, but I think we more learn to be compassionate to other people. And then we want to ignore the, the piece about ourselves or in some ways, like you said, sometimes on the health side, I, not, I hadn't thought about it as much from my health perspective as maybe in a different way, you know, like, Oh, I know for me, I need to refill. I need to uh, read books or listen to podcasts or read devotionals that will get me recharged and kind of excited and, you know, reframe the day or the week. But sometimes I think we forget that on the health side of things, we need to do the same thing. You know, what'll keep us motivated, what'll keep us kind of coming back to make one more good choice. So I think you're right about that. We are too hard on ourselves a lot of times. Yeah, I that point about almost the silos in our life is yeah. so interesting. And I hear a lot of women come to me. Um, so a lot of women resonate with my story of being a dietitian and feeling like a fraud. And so I get women coming to me who are dietitians, so, social workers, pharmacists, doctors, you know, um, yeah. teachers, and they're like, I, I have such trouble practicing what I preach, like in my professional life, 
I'm good at this. Yeah, I'm compassionate to everyone. I'm even nice to myself in that arena. Um, But when it comes to food, wow, there's this huge disconnect. Um, And so I I think you're you're not alone in that. And what Mm -hmm. I found in my own life, which is really interesting, is that my experience with food, where I'm learning to um, be curious and compassionate and kind to myself and also care about myself and care about how I feel and value feeling good, right? Right. It bleeds over into other parts. Like I'm in this stage in my business now where I'm realizing hustling, you know, and, and exhausting myself really is not the way to go. Turns out right. that's not sustainable. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I can totally see how we start to learn these lessons in other parts of our life. And again, that can feel frustrating. Like, shouldn't I have already learned this lesson by now? Um, until we recognize "Eh, it's a journey, you know, that's a normal human experience and, and I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. So good. So let me ask you this. How can we have a better relationship with food? You know, I know you talked about at some point we want to have a peaceful relationship with food and it doesn't need to be about restricting, you know, the diet or food choices. So is there any first tips of someone trying to you know, step into maybe a healthy lifestyle and a better food relationship that you can recommend? Yeah, I think focusing on nourishing and caring for your body in a way that you enjoy is the most important thing. And that may sound like, duh, (laughs) except (laughs) that the diet world or the nutrition world has done a really bad job educating people on how to care for themselves in a way that feels good to them. Mm-hmm. So especially for women, um, we a lot of the research on diets are done in college age males because <laughs> they're easy to find and their anatomy maybe is a little easier to understand. And so for research purposes, those are the best test subjects. But then that research is taken and extrapolated out to the entire population. And I often tell my clients, again, peri and postmenopausal women, that research has absolutely nothing to do with you. Your body is completely different. You know, your history is different. If you've been on a, 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 if you have a history of being on diets and gaining and losing weight, then going on another diet, even if it seems different, is absolutely not the answer. It's just going to continue to lodge, I guess, that that all or nothing thinking in our minds. I can tell I'm getting a a little bit passionate about this topic because because it can do a lot of damage, honestly, you know, and I love, I love the idea of um, having a healthy relationship with food, having a healthy relationship with yourself. And then it's, it's honestly easy to make good choices for yourself after that. And those good choices occasionally involve dessert and chocolate and ice cream with, you know, your kids or your grandkids. Right. Right. So how do you get that? Well, I think starting with curiosity and then finishing with self-compassion and it's like, those things don't even have to do with food. What are you talking about? Crazy lady. Um, (laughs) But I think it's becoming clear that that curiosity of what do I need? What would feel good to me? Um, is the best place to start. And oftentimes we can look back on our history and think, well, when did I feel the best? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes people will think, well, I felt the best when I was, you know, doing this really restrictive diet. And I would say, did you, you know, maybe you did, but it's because you were eating consistently throughout the day, or you were moving your body consistently, you know, look beyond the kind of the obvious answers to try to implement some of those things back in your life again, and then start really small. 
start really doable. So right now I'm, uh, I'm going to a gym nearby once a week, you know, and that's my commitment to myself. Of course I walk and do stuff like that, you know, at other times, but that's the thing that is super doable for me. And I feel really good about it. So that can be an example to other people. You don't have to say, okay, I'm going to do this workout every single day. Like, again, that's the all or nothing thinking, like starting small. Yeah, absolutely. So are there, like for you, for instance, are there any go-to foods that you often recommend to your clients, you know, whether, whether they're fruits and vegetables or they're other types of food or, or just food groups that you, mm-hmm. it's kind of repeat pattern that you think, oh, if everybody added this in or so, is there anything like that you recommend? Totally, totally. So no one's going to be surprised by this answer. <laughs> so protein and fiber. So, um, and eating them regularly throughout the day. So what happens a lot with women I work with, especially if they're struggling with overeating at night, is they're skipping meals or they're not eating much during the day. And again, that goes back to that self-care because during the day, you know, they're caring for other people um, in some way or their, you know, their business or whatever it may be and, and not themselves. And so focusing on the protein foods, you know, focusing on fibers, fiber is going to be from things like fruits and vegetables and whole grains. So I'm not talking here that you have to be super low carb or anything, but that's going to allow you number one to feel full. Both of those foods Mm -hmm. increase your satiety, especially if you can add in a little healthy fat, then you're just going to feel like amazingly satisfied. Mm -hmm. Um, Eating them regularly also helps with that. About every four uh, hours plus or minus is what I recommend people eat during the day. And and then you can focus on the abundance of things you love. So you're not focusing on, oh, here's what I'm not eating during that time. I say, oh, if you want a cinnamon roll, great. Pair it with some protein. Pair it with some fiber. You know, if you want some chocolate, eat it with that other thing. And what that's going to do is not only are you going to be getting lots of nourishing nutrients, but your metabolism is going to start working harder. Um, And you're going to feel good. Honestly, (laughs) we don't realize how awful it feels to have our blood sugar just spiking and lowering throughout the day because we're skipping meals or we're, you know, eating a a lot of sugar at once. Again, like that just feels really awful. (laughs) When you start eating things like protein and fiber regularly throughout the day, gosh, you're going to feel so good. It's going to be easier to keep doing it. Yeah. No, I think that's great because I think one, you're correct. A lot of people don't pair, like you said, make sure they have a high, high enough protein or any protein at their meals or some of their meals in fiber. I think I've heard that a lot of people aren't getting anywhere near the amount of fiber it should be per day. And I can guarantee tell you that the meals that I have, you know, a very whole meal, you know, like it has protein. If like, for instance, a salad by itself makes me feel terrible, even just the vegetables with even a a dressing without and much sugar in it. I feel horrible afterwards, like as if I ate bread. Right. But if I put protein on it and like a little bit of fat to your point, I'm full and I actually feel good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm just going to have something really little for lunch, but it actually sabotages us even if it's healthy. Because it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't satisfying and it didn't fill us up and it didn't give us, like you said, the fiber and and stuff we need. So I think those are actually really good points. And I I think we could all benefit from adding more of that in if we're not already. Yeah. And it it calls on this deeper issue, which I think is something that you talk about in your work of 
of giving yourself permission to feel good, you know, and, and kind of live that abundance. Right. And, and oftentimes when, um, when we're trying to think of not eating much and we think that that's the end goal, of course, we, you just said how that's playing against you, but, but also it's that deeper issue of like, Hey, you deserve to feel full. You deserve to feel satisfied. Like you right. are worthy and, you know, lovable and, I think it's just really interesting how a lot of times our food choices and our relationship with food actually play into some of these deeper um, heart things that we may be dealing with. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think also just our culture of rushed or, oh, I'm not that hungry yet. So I'm just going to have something really small at lunch. But what we don't realize is it's not that that's a bad choice. It's that that choice is going to impact us later in the day, right? So for me, sometimes that's more of the issues. Is, oh, I'm not really hungry because I don't really eat. If I eat breakfast, it's usually later in the, you know, late morning to like 11 mm-hmm. or later. And so I'm not really ready for lunch at 12 o'clock, you know? So then I think sometimes we just have to realize like, that doesn't mean that I don't still need to eat or whomever, right? A healthy sure. lunch, it just might be that my lunch is a later time than someone else's or that I need to eat a bigger meal if I'm skipping breakfast or eating it later. But, you know, sometimes I think we just make those choices thinking, well, I'm not that hungry right now, but I've definitely found the days that I have a more filling meal. I feel better the whole day versus I'm not that hungry. So I'll just have something small, you know? So what I love about that is that's curiosity in action. You're, you're paying attention to what makes you feel good and, and discovering that for yourself. Right. Absolutely. So do you have any last encouragement or advice you'd like to share with the listeners before we start, um, you know, finding out how people can find out more about you and your programs? Yeah, I think, you know, I was thinking about this, about what would be most helpful and applicable both to someone's health and maybe even their journey in in other of these life silos. And the thing that sticks out to me is really similar to what we've been talking about, curiosity and self-compassion. So Mm -hmm. if you're struggling with something, you know, rather than go to that knee-jerk reaction of it's my fault, I'm a failure, I'm bad, you know, what am I doing wrong? stop and get curious. We talked about some of the factors that can influence, for instance, your eating choices, you know, Mm -hmm. being misguided in terms of, uh, of whether or not you should eat at a certain time or, you know, the hormones or the feelings or self care, some of these deeper issues. And so I hope you can see now that there's, you know, that, that old iceberg metaphor, it's just the tip of the iceberg. And there's so much more under the the surface when it comes to eating. And then from there, when you get curious, you can exercise that self-compassion. And a good question that I often find is to ask yourself how a friend would view the situation. You know, what would a friend say to you in this case, if you were saying, oh, I messed up again, you know, I did this thing I wish I wouldn't do. The friend would say, oh no, but look at these things that you did do. And isn't that great? And you're just so wonderful. (laughs) Right. Um, And that can be uncomfortable for us to say to ourselves, which I would argue is pretty messed up, but, but practicing that allows you then to take better care of yourself next time, because you're curious about it. You're paying attention to what's going on. You know, the, the thing that, that shuts down curiosity the fastest is that criticism or just believing that we're bad. And so, you know, why even dig into it? And so when you can have curiosity, exercise that self-compassion, then it opens up the, the door to really what's going to work for you specifically. Yeah. Well, I actually do think that, yes, we've talked about it now a couple of times, curiosity, but I actually think it's, 
it's something that I haven't heard tied to our health choices very often. And I think it's, you're right. I think it's kind of huge. I mean, I think it's huge for all facets of our life, right? You know, because I'm a big advocate of curiosity and creativity and those things are very important and we become better problem solvers. We become better, you know, advocates for ourselves. We can recharge when we're, like you said, we're going down the street and we think, oh, what is that? You know, it just, we live longer. It's just, we're happier. So I love that you talk about curiosity and our health choices, because to your point, it takes a little bit of the pressure in the, I'm not doing a job or this negative self-talk and think, you know what, what, it, what would happen if I tried this banana with whatever today? Oh, wow. I loved that. And then what it would try happen if tomorrow. And like you said, it's more like it's curiosity and it's just kind of like a trial and error, testing it out and see what works for us. Not, not what society tells us or culture tells us we should be eating because we know that's not all truth. Right. And it's not all true for everyone. I mean, obviously like a lot of people avoid some of the foods that the people that have lived the longest, right. In different cultures, they eat it every single day, but yet in our culture, some of those things have a negative connotation around them, you know, like they're going to make us fat, which is not true. But I think to your point is what makes us feel full, what makes us feel satisfied and what makes us feel good. And I love about I love that you talk about curiosity so much. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's a big one. And, and you know, to illustrate this just briefly, um, one of my clients shared that she started working with a personal trainer um, who she was, you know, really excited about that physical side of things. And the trainer had asked her to track her food. And the trainer said to her, like, wow, good job tracking even your bad foods. Like just really being honest, you know, praising her for being honest. So the trainer thinks that she's giving this woman a compliment. And I'm so proud of my client because she turned back to her trainer, you know, in love and said, there are no bad foods. It's all just data. Right. And when you have that mindset of curiosity, it allows you to to see things as data and, and make the best choices for yourself without that guilt and shame that can be so often associated with eating and trying to be healthy. Oh, that, that's a great example, actually, because let me tell you, I'm definitely a, sometimes a cheese, chocolate and, and a wine girl. So I might still be able to have those things, but it just means I don't need a whole, I mean, not that I have a whole plate of it. I meant, it just means I can have a couple pieces of that along with the other things, right? To your point, it's, and it doesn't need yeah. to have to be, it doesn't have to be an everyday thing. So I think that's a really good example. I love it. So we, we were going to wrap it up, but before I do, do you have any resources that you recommend to people, books or podcasts that you think are really great that people might enjoy? Well, I have uh, a freebie of my own I can share if, if that's okay. So um, if anyone's struggling, they you know heard me talk and feel like hormones are an issue for them or they're struggling with eating at night, you can go to cassiechristopher.net forward slash free and get my hormone balancing guide where I share the daily routine and hint, we kind of talked about it already with the protein and fiber um, that is going to set you up to not have to eat all night after dinner, which I know can be so frustrating for people. Um, Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll also link to it on the, from the website episode as well. Wonderful. I love that. So how, how else can everybody find you online and follow you on social if you're on there? Sure. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Cassie Christopher RD. And then if you like what I'm talking about and you want to hear more, you can join my Facebook group. It's called the Emotional Eating and Women's Wellness Community. You can just search those words in the Facebook search bar and that should come up. You'll see my my face. Um, and, and that's where I share a lot of 
you know, tips and tricks and, and how to become more self-compassionate and how to get more curious. Some of the same topics we've been talking about today. Oh my gosh. So good. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I do, I think it's such an important topic and I love how you bring together the need for self-compassion and self-care and curiosity with our health choices. And you are such a good advocate and cheerleader for all of us in this, uh, in our health journey. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you. What a great conversation I had with Cassie about our body image and health and how we can use curiosity to really make good health choices and feel better about ourselves. And then I love that she talked about it's not all or nothing and that it's the small wins and the small successes that can keep us making and improving our food and our health choices. Ah, I hope you'll take some of this wisdom away conversation and use it in your own life. And I wanted to share this quote with you. I've shared one other time, but it says, when health is absent, wisdom cannot reveal itself. Art cannot manifest. Strength cannot fight. Wealth becomes useless. And intelligence cannot be applied. And it's by Herophilius. So I just want you to remember that. And I hope you have a great week. I think we do need to know what we want in order to define life on our terms. And we have to be willing to break the past scripts so that we can move into better and more beautiful and amazing things. And if you're ready to go after your dreams and define life on your terms, head on over to kristenfitch.com and download the free No Limits workbook to help you look at different ideas in front of you and how you might create, scale, and monetize those ideas. So you can start going after your dreams today. And if you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have ideas for the show or guests that you'd like to recommend, I'd love to hear from you. So DM me on Instagram at Kristen Fitch, or you can email me from the website. Thanks so much. And thanks again for listening in. Until next time, have a great week.